every runner has some sort of a backstory. I'm going to be your host, Amanda Loudon. We're going to talk to different guests in the coming weeks and months uh, that you're going to find interesting, entertaining, uh, and you'll probably even learn a little bit from it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Running Story. And uh, I'm glad to have you along. I'm Amanda Loudon, your host every week for this series that takes a look at the backstory of uh, many different interesting and colorful runners. This week, we have a friend of mine who is uh, really someone I consider to be an amazing person, runner all around. Uh, His name is uh, Dr. Mark Kukazella. He is a family physician based out of Shepherdstown, West Virginia. He's also a professor at West Virginia University. He's a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Air Force Reserves. Uh, He's the chief medical consultant for the Air Force Marathon and also um, a race director himself. He puts on two different uh, major events every year, uh, one in the fall and one in the spring down in um, Harpers Ferry and Shepherdstown area. Highly recommend these events. And uh, I think if that isn't enough, let me just say that above all, I I consider Mark to be a teacher. Um, He is a proponent for healthy, injury-free running and uh, has really rolled up his sleeves and dug into what that entails. And he uh, educates folks through uh, seminars known as the Healthy Running Seminars uh, that take place um, all over the country, all over the world. And uh, he also uh, teaches uh, through his website, Natural Running Center. Um, we'll, we'll give you the URLs for both of those during this uh, podcast so that you can check them out. Uh, but th- it's a real treat to me to have Mark on the show today. And I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So uh, sit back and uh, enjoy all that Mark has to say. Uh, welcome, Mark. I'm really excited to have you on the show this week. Well, it's a privilege to be on, Amanda. Um, so for our audience members, um, I want to kind of bring them a little bit up to speed. They've heard the introduction um, on who you are, but um, you know, I want to talk about the fact that you wear so many hats, <laughs> and um, they all kind of tie together nicely, I think, Um with the end result being your focus on overall health and longevity and and then healthy running. Um, So why don't we give everyone a little bit of background um, on how you got started with running because you've been at it forever and a day and um, you've had a a really um, impressive running career. Um, So kind of tell us how you got started and then bring us all the way up to speed um, in terms of where you were around the year 2000, um, you know, with with your foot issues, and we'll go from there. Well, gosh, uh, so I'm 48 for your audience, Amanda, 48 years old, and a father of two, and I was a very active kid, probably like everyone in my day. We played in the yard incessantly, you know, every game. I played all the standard sports as a kid, baseball, football, basketball. We played a ton of yard games, tag. We'd you know, be let out in the morning and summertime and ring the 
dinner bell at night to come home and you know, I was always able to to run really well in, in the other sports. I was always the fastest kid in the 25-meter dash at field day and, you know, in football practice when they had us run around the field a couple times, you know, I, I would always be able to kind of stay ahead of the group. And somewhere along the line, I, my body type kind of declared I wasn't going to be a high school football player. <laughs> and my brother had started running cross country and he took me on some runs on the beach in New Jersey. I must have been like 12. And I think the second run we went on was like 10 miles barefoot on the beach, and it didn't seem like that big a deal. And then later, about a year later, I started to run with a group called the Howard County Striders. They started to have, and I think you know that group, Amanda. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and they were really, they had an awesome youth development and just a fun group. They used to have weekly club runs. And friend of mine started dragging me out to these runs every weekend. They had like two mile runs and, you know, started to get better and better at two miles. And then they had this half marathon in the springtime. So I was about 13 and I had a group of, there were like four or five of us that were all 13 years old, you know, that would just run, you know, we do the other sports too. And we lined up in this race and all of us finished this thing in under an hour, 25 and my other brother, who was age 11 at the time, ran it in like an hour and 30. You know, again, he was an active kid. You know, so from that time forward, you know, for better or worse, you know, I, I kind of became a runner because I was entering high school and joined the cross-country team. And that's kind of where the, all the injuries started as soon as I stopped doing all the other sports. And, you know, someone said, well, you're running pretty fast. You should just concentrate on running. You know, I think a lot of runners have kind of gone down that path and learned from it the hard way and, you know, run too much. Or, you know, I was hurt probably half of my high school career at Loyola High School, but still ran well enough to go on to run at college at University of Virginia. But like everyone on the team there, we spent half of our time hurt in the trainer's room. And probably the good news about being hurt is I, I came in contact with probably one of the most innovative sports med docs at the time. His name was Dr. Daniel Cooland. And he was, uh, he was our team doc for the track and cross country team. But People used to fly from all over the country to see him. So he had this, he was kind of like the mad scientist of running injuries at the time. He had built a little pool in his in his medical office. It was like a big, deep hot tub pool. And I was in there one day getting treated, and, and Mary Decker's in there running in the pool. And many in, in your audience may know who Mary Decker yeah, was. Absolutely. She's multiple-time world champion who was always hurt. You know, right. She had like every tragic injury you could from running. But she's in the pool tethered to this bungee cord just running away. And I asked Dan, like, what's she doing? You know, he's like, well, this is how you know, we're training injured runners now. They do it with horses. And I was fascinated by that. You know, I was like, wow, this guy's thinking totally outside the usual, like, ice it, rest it, inject it, you know, build orthotics and all that stuff. So I got interested in sports medicine, which led me to apply to medical school. And uh, so... Uh, had no real idea what I wanted to do in medicine, but I really liked health prevention in medicine and treating the whole patient. So I became a family doctor with a side interest in sports medicine and uh, kept running myself after college, but again, made all the same mistakes. You know, was ran pretty well, got my marathon times, you know, down to about 224 with a full-time job. I was trying to get to Olympic trials, which was 222 at the time. So it was probably verged on more under-recovering than over-training because if you're a doctor, back in those days we used to work like 80 hours a week and then try to run on top of it. So the thing that was missing was sleep in my life. And about 2000, I had really bad arthritis-type uh, pains in my feet. You know, just 
and it kind of affected everything upstream too, where the solution at the time was to do a partial resection of the bones of my large toe to try to get some mobility back. They did that to both both feet and at that time was kind of told the standard line not to run. And that kind of started the journey to figuring out how to run again. You know, that's kind of the next chapter is, you know, told probably many in your audience and yourself, Amanda, have you, have you been told by a doc at any point in your life that, you know, running's bad for you, you'll wear out and stop running? You know, I don't know if I've been told that, but I've certainly had some bad advice over the years. Uh, you know, and it's just, it, it does, I think all of us runners, you know, suffer from some sort of an encounter with a physician with that type of philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of the the take that was given to me was don't run. And after about three months, I found that I just missed it. You know, I, I would go out and walk with my dog, but there was something about running and you know, I think my niece explained it to me well a, a few months back. She's had a, a above knee amputation of her leg from a bone cancer and went about 13 years without running. And a, pro, a, a prostatist, not prostitutes, right. <laughs> so they say that word correctly. <laughs> Important distinction. Uh, someone who makes artificial legs uh, convinced her to try a running leg. And, and she was like, well, I'm, I'm not the sporty type. I really don't think I need that. And he's like, just try it. You know, if you don't like it, you can, you know, give it back to me and I'll fit someone else so she put this running leg on and she's practicing practicing and then she got it and and she she put this in her blog that night she said as soon as she had both feet in the air at the same time she realized that she was flying and it was something she hadn't done in 13 years you know we all take it for granted that feeling of having both feet in the air absolutely and maybe that's something I missed right that's what what, what drew me back. So I kind of retooled everything. I was like, well, gosh, you know, running is a pretty normal human activity. And I, just because I got operated on, I'll learn how to run again. And I started to study running form, running mechanics, how Kenyans ran, started to minimize the shoe because I figured if I could get the shoe, you know, thinner and flatter to the ground, I could learn to land better. So, you know, so I knew were, that, you, were, you, were you tooling around with shoes and, 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 you know, doctoring them up for yourself at that point? Not until 2000, but after 2000, yes, and and I was fortunate enough to, I was playing, you know, so I, when I got back into running, I didn't know much about shoes, but I but I went right into racing flats. That was the only thing they had at the time, mm -hmm. but I knew I was studying running mechanics because I knew there was, okay, something about what I was doing was wrong, so I looked at the East Africans, they ran barefoot, and they landed different, so I, there were a few things published at that time. There's a book called... Um, uh, explosive running by Dr. Michael Yeses, which talked about mechanics, but really not much at all was people weren't talking about this. And uh, he recommended you use thin shoes, you know, uh, and it kind of made sense. It's like if you're going to go race in thin shoes and track spikes, why would you go train in something that inhibited all your foot's motion? So I started to run in all these skinny racing shoes, which were pretty common at the time. People just didn't train much in them, but 10 or 20 years ago, that was all people ran in. You know, that was like the everyday shoe. Then someone convinced us we needed training shoes. And uh, so I probably just retooled my mechanics. And then I, I got to the point I was running really well again. And I picked up a sponsorship with Brooks and got involved in some of their initial design on minimal shoes. This is like mid 2000s. And they would start sending me shoes that were cut up, you know, heels cut off and just to play with it. And it was like immediately I got it. I understood the zero drop thing because I could run better. And a couple of those shoes at the time did not make it to market, but now are back on the market because the market wasn't ready 
at the end of you know 2008, 2009. This was before Born to Run. Um, people weren't talking about this, so unless there's a market for a shoe, it's not going to go to mass production. Right. Um, the only company at that time that was actually talking about running form was Newton Running. And when Brooks didn't go forward with their project products, I contacted Newton Running because I really believed that there was a better way to run. You know, we were all getting hurt. So I got involved with some of their education programs, started running in their shoes. I liked their shoes. They were flat. And they were the first ones out there to kind of be bold enough to say, maybe we're doing things backwards. And, you know, five years later, like every company has a shoe that has this design. So it, I think everyone has followed that path. And people have made mistakes, too, because if your foot's not strong, you know, shoes don't injure people. You know, runners injure themselves. So if you have bad mechanics, a weak foot, and then you go run barefoot or put on a minimal shoe and you run too hard, you're going to hurt yourself. So I'm all into the education part. That's why we opened our store. Let's try to educate people on how to get stronger, how to run better, how to walk better, strengthen their feet, you know, just uh, pick a shoe that works for you today, mix it up. But I kept running, you know, so I think living proof that you can run when a doctor tells you not to run. So I haven't had a running injury in 15 years and I still can line up for marathons a few times a year. This past weekend I ran a 50k trail run. It was 5,000 feet of climbing and felt like a million bucks, you know, woke up the next day and could run again. And that's so great. And I know because, you know, I, I, I've talked with you enough that I know that, that you're doing this on not a huge amount of volume at all either. I mean, you, 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 you are such a maxed out guy with, with your time that I know you don't, you know, you're not putting in all the mega miles uh, that many people think you have to. Um, so, you know, that you can go out there and, and, run a 50K, you know, run a marathon, run them well, feel great the next day. You know, I think that's a testament to the fact that you're doing something right. Yeah, I think a lot of it's nutrition and teaching your body to be metabolically efficient and mechanically efficient. So just like you're going to go for a weekend, Amanda, on a long walk, it's, you know, say you want to go hike 30 miles on the Appalachian Trail, it's not like you're going to go train, you know, 20 miles every day on the Appalachian Trail for that one, you, one weekend day. You just need to be able to utilize the right fuel and be mechanically efficient so you don't break muscle down. So if you run efficiently, you know, you land soft, use the glutes, posterior chain, you know, you could line up for 50 miles off of 30 miles a week. You just have to provide the right fuel in your body, which if, you know, if you eat lower carbohydrates, you're going to be able to access your own body fat as fuel. Um, I played with a product called Ucan this weekend. I love just trying new mm -hmm. things. I didn't mm -hmm. eat anything. Uh, before or during the race, I took uh, some UCAN at the start and a couple uh, bottles of it, you know, midway through, and that was it, and felt great, you know. Wow. So I don't know if it had anything to do with that, but it just convinced, you know, convinced me that, okay, I don't need, because I'm going to do the JFK in a couple months, and every time you do it, you want to try something new, so maybe I don't need to carry gels, maybe I'll just bring a little of this stuff along. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I've been experimenting with this kind of thing over the past couple of years, you know, um, you know, thanks to your influence and, and you know, you talk about being a butter burner and, um, you know, I, I'm amazed at where I am today. You know, I can go out for a 20-mile run and, you know, I, I, I train myself up until 20 miles. I train on just water. Um, don't take anything in during the runs. Um, but with the 20-milers, be, because I'm practicing for a marathon, 
you know, I'll eat, I'll eat what I would typically eat the morning of a race. And then, yeah. but, but I, but I, I take one gel somewhere in the midst of that 20 miles. I have no plan, whatever it might be, just, you know, if it's a convenient time that I've stopped, it might be 10, 11, 12 miles, take that gel and I'm great for the rest of the run. You know, it, it, it and I'm not even sure if I need that gel necessarily, but I'm, you know, I haven't gotten to the point where I've given it all up entirely, but like you said, it's experimenting and, um, you know, training your body to, to run efficiently and differently. Now, just that one that one gel on a 20-mile run is probably works for your brain, too. It just probably stabilizes your blood sugar a little bit. And you need a little bit of carbohydrate to be able to burn the fat efficiently. So just a little bit. So your, your brain tells you. So if you're at about 12 miles and you sense that you start dreaming of, of getting back and having breakfast. Right, right. Your brain's telling you you need a little something. But... It's just nice security. You put it in your pocket, and yes. now if your brain's not telling you you need it, yes, just leave it in your pocket. But yes. you know it's there. Absolutely, absolutely. I've had many a Joe go through my washing machine with that strategy because it's stuck in my pocket, and I forget about it and, and toss the shorts in the wash. So um, gives you peace of mind. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit then about. Um, when you open Two River Treads, um, two, two River Treads, which, um, you know, I, I believe that was around 2010 when you opened that up. And, um, you know, you're down in this bucolic little corner of West Virginia. Um, and, you know, maybe not super accessible, you know, from, from many parts of the country, but, you know, you've really turned it into a teaching center and um, let's talk a little bit about why you opened the store and, and the types of things you do from the store. Yeah, so we opened the store. It's Yeah, it's been five years, a little over five years. And we started having races in our community to raise money, mostly for wellness projects. We have a nonprofit here that's building trails, you know, at schools and different community places to try to get people outside. And no one in my community really had any place to go to learn how to run. And we started to develop new runners by having all these events. We have two, you've run the half marathon in Amanda. I'm not sure if you've come to the fall event. Yeah, I haven't been to the fall event yet. Yep. Maybe October 10th, maybe this year, come on out. Yeah, that's a lot of fun, but I couldn't honestly say, well, just go find a running shoe store somewhere, you know, in DC or someplace, because I didn't know what they were doing. And I realized that a lot of what we do in medicine, you know, in running stores, you know, some of it's not evidence-based. You know, if you go to a doctor and you want to lose weight, they're going to tell you to eat a, a low-fat diet, which we're learning now that that's not true. You know, the carbohydrates are, for the majority of people, are what drive obesity. You know, eating cholesterol doesn't cause high cholesterol, and eating cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease, even though conventional wisdom will still tell you that's true. But, you know, most running stores, you know, I think many are evolving, but some still not because it is a business or are putting people in elevated heel shoes with motion control and arch supports and I honestly think the human body's pretty well designed to run you know with you know the equipment we have which is our feet and our feet need to be flat so I wanted to have a place where people could learn so that's why we opened a store with that model so we haven't sold a single shoe in our store that has more than maybe a four millimeter heel to toe differential mm -hmm. And just last year, the ACSM came out with an uh, evidence-based guideline on fitting shoes, which pretty much was, you know, the page out of our book from 2010. It said a shoe should be light, shouldn't have heel-to-toe drop, should be wide, um, and it shouldn't be too soft because your foot actually needs to feel the ground to be able to activate. You know, that's how your 
your foot tells different muscles to turn on or off. You know, when you hit the ground, a lot of force, so you've got to stabilize your body on the ground and then spring off the ground. And most of that's under local control of our fascia, not our brain. If your brain had to think about every landing and what muscles to turn on or off, could you imagine that for 26 miles or a trail run? <laughs> no. It's too slow and you can't, I mean, you're like, you want your brain just to, you know, think about the birds and let your body be on autopilot. Yes. But, but this is what a lot of people don't understand is they think, well, I need this big crash pad under my my body, but that's not true. Everyone prefers a little different amount of cushion or, you know, even depending on the terrain. You know, this weekend I used cushion because we this 50K was mostly on single track Appalachian Trail type of terrain, you know, big rocks, you know, so, but I do a lot of barefoot running to train my body to be able to put on any shoe. You know, now we got to go race down rocks. You need something under your feet, like a, you know, like a downhill mountain bike, so to speak. But, sure. but yeah, it's been fun. So we're still here five years from now, and we actually got, it'll be live on September 14th. So there's a site called Small Business Revolution that picked 100 businesses in the country, small businesses that, you know, have done something against the grain, so to speak, and have succeeded. So they, we're, I think we're the only sporting goods store in that whole mix. That's but somehow they heard about us and, you know, the little clinics we were doing, and they wanted to come to a story on us. Because it is kind of a revolution, you know, we're doing things different and just telling people just, you know, go figure it out, you know, come try it. Don't listen to me or anyone else. Your body will tell you, you know, I think lifestyle shoes is really the next step of what people, most people figure out how their foot works, not by running, it's by walking around all day, you know, get your foot out of this big cloggy dress shoe, you know, or pointed heeled shoe if you're a lady and then let, let your foot come back alive. And then the running actually is pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's absolutely true. Um, and I think that's something I wanted to touch on, too, is you know that a lot of runners, I think, don't think beyond their running shoe and think about, you know, I mean, even if you're logging 100 miles a week, that's still the, the minority of your week. And, and, and the rest of your day, you know, you're in something else. And, um, you know, I think it's important, you know, for the body overall and for your health overall to, you know, get out of those traditional shoes like you're mentioning. I mean, what, what's your what's your take on all that? Oh, definitely. And gosh, in my hospital, if you walk around, it's, I, I don't sell things in my hospital, but the nurses all get it. They're on their feet 12 hours, you know, so one of them will show up one day in a five finger. And then, you know, next day there's like three nurses in flat shoes. And if you walk around my hospital, almost all the nurses are in flat shoes of varying brands, but they've you know, they just listen to each other and then they listen to their bodies. You know, so I have a whole kind of menu of shoes I'll wear depending on how dressy it needs to be, but they're all flat. I'm on my feet 12 hours. I do 12 hour hospital shifts. And at the end of the day, I feel more energized than when I showed up because, you know, for some reason, if your foot is doing its thing, you know, your body doesn't get fatigued. Yeah. You know, so I'll have a pair of Vivos and uh, Vivo Barefoots or yep. a pair of Lems or. I have another pair of clogs called Barefooters. You know, they're all a little different just based on the look. I have a, a dress shoe called a Primal Professional. If I've got to get, in, I'm still in the military and we have to have this standard looking military dress shoe. That's kind of like smoke and mirrors. It has the heels kind of recessed. So it looks like a heel from the side, but your heel kind of settles into this cavity. Um, so it makes it a little shorter, but I don't really care. Right. I, I had to hem a few pants, but it works. <laughs> and now I can stand. It's weird. Like, talk. I don't know if you're. Are you wearing flat shoes all day just to walk? Uh, I'm in my bare feet all day because I work from home. So, 
you know, I, I, I what if you had to put on a heel often. for two hours? How does your back feel? Like if you just had to go put on a pair of heels for a cocktail party, what, what, how do you feel after a couple hours? Oh, I don't, I don't know that I could do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, I, I you, you can't. I, it's like pain. You, you end up yeah. chucking them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess my my uh, social life is such that I'm not out in need not of cocktail shoes very often, corporate. but but that works for me. <laughs> but just try, yeah, go somewhere in a heel for like two hours now, and everything hurts. It's just strange. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure of it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 very it's it's funny. It's like um, the chair, you know. I'm standing here during this interview. Me but, too. <laughs> and, uh, same we just thing. Got I, a school I, it, to get stand-up desks for kids at a local school. Oh, that, kids, I, kids shouldn't be sitting down. I think that would be fabulous. That it's yeah. This is the next evolution of kids and health. Is get them out of the chairs. I, I think that's fantastic. It makes me cringe that my kids sit all day. You know, I, I just oh. Could be the I, first in Howard County. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm all over the, it. Where to get the desks? <laughs> I love it. Um, so, and let's talk about, you've, you've also, beyond your store, um, you definitely have a road show going, um, you know, pre preaching the healthy running message. And I've, I've attended one of them, one of your two-day seminars. And uh, I know you've taken this message worldwide. Um, let's, if you can kind of just give a few bullet points um, in terms of what your message is uh, when you're out there educating, you know, you're educating um, you know, PTs and, and physicians and, you know, runners and, and, and others. Tell us a little bit about that. I think so. The title of our seminars are called Healthy Running and the website's healthyrunning.org. So it's kind of evolved out of military seminars I was doing, you know, going to bases, teaching people uh, aspects of success on the fitness test, which was more about how they live than how they trained. Um, a lot of it really dealt in, dealt with nutrition because what I figured out with the I, I had a six month sabbatical to work on a project for the Air Force fitness test to try to help people pass this test. They had uh, kind of tightened the screws on the test when a new chief of staff came on board, and the failure rates went up to about twenty percent, mm. which is bad news. You know yeah. that's your tax dollars, and you've got pilots that you you know million plus dollars of training, and now they can't run or pass the test, or they get hurt, and they've got to be relieved. So I just took a look at the data for about a month, like where's it? Where's the problems? And I noticed pretty quick that the lines were pretty parallel between body mass index and failure rates. So as your body mass index climbed, your odds of, of not passing this mile and a half fitness test went up despite the same PT regimen. So we had to address nutrition and that got me into the rabbit hole of understanding the role of food. I, I was like anyone else. You know that was taught traditional medical. Uh, Tim Noakes is probably one of the world's leading spokesmen on you know how he had it all wrong too, and right. gotten to teach with Tim. And I didn't know what he was doing until three years ago when I did a course in South Africa with Tim. We both were speakers at this course, and I heard him talk on nutrition, and it it made me feel pretty good because here's you know I kind of figured this out, but I didn't spend five years digging into every aspect of it. So he had actually spent five years before that talk reading everything because he, he ended up with diabetes and he's like what the heck I'm running 50 miles a week so he reset everything he thought that was true it took five years and kind of came out of the closet so to speak and just said look everything I've been doing is wrong you know everything I've told you is wrong let's rethink all this and I was figuring out the same thing so we, we teach people the value of you know healthy health and fitness are two different things so 
you can strive to be uber, uber fit and destroy your health. You could overtrain, not recover, eat crap, everything and get a heart attack. You know, so running and fitness doesn't prevent a heart attack. So, but if you stay healthy, your odds of being able to do those things you love to do, whether it's running a marathon or playing soccer with your kids or, you know, anything. So health is foundational and then go do whatever fitness it is. And Dave McGilvery really explained this well. You know, he's the race director of the Boston Marathon. and right. He gave a talk at our sports medicine conference before the Boston Marathon a couple years ago. You know, this was the year after the bombing, you know, and he was the busiest guy on the planet. And he came to address our conference the day before and gave this like five minute. I can, we can link it on the show notes. But he talked about his journey in that past year and how he got diagnosed with cardiac disease and how everything he thought was actually turned on its head. You know, he said, well, gosh, if the furnace is burning hot enough, it can burn anything. And, you know, his quote was this, you know, he, he strived his whole life to be fit, but he didn't really make any commitment to be healthy. And he changed everything about his diet. And gosh, uh, like about a year after that, he finished Ironman again after 30 years. Yeah, he yeah. lost 30 pounds and you just see it on his face. He's He found... You know, and again, stress is huge too. You know, he probably had more stress on him that year than anyone after the bombing. And absolutely, I think now he's probably found peace. His his son actually came up to him. His son was afraid for him to go to work for like a year after the bombing, and then like a month after the 2014 race, which was the year 2013 was when the bombing was. His son came up to him and said, "You know, Dad, I think I want to be the race director of the Boston Marathon one day." And wow. you can imagine kind of what that did to just his blood pressure or whatever hormonal, you know, right. hormonal distress. I mean, who the hell knows? You, you can't measure it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just, wow, if my, my son came up to me and said that after a year, he was terrified of me going to work. Yeah. That's powerful. So absolutely yeah, strive to be healthy not, and don't just strive to be fit. And that's what we do in the course. You know, we teach movement, we teach strength, we tell people to slow down, teach them proper drills. Okay, if you want to speed up, you got to earn the right to do it. You know, if you can't move well, you can't get into a squat, you got no hip mobility, no glute strength, your posture is horrible because you're sitting all day, you know, you really aren't ready to go pound out quarter miles on the track. You just take it to disaster. And right. it gives, I think people kind of walk away given permission that they don't need to hurt themselves to get fit, you know, no pain, no gain is not what we strive for, you know, no pain thank you is more the message. Right, right. But that's kind of it in a nutshell. You know, I, I just think it's such an important message because I do think that, um, you know, the running community as a whole is, is still kind of stuck with that no pain, no gain mentality. So, um, you know, I, lo I love that you're out there spreading the good word. Um, it really is important. Um, so what what do you have? You mentioned you've got um, you've got JFK coming up again. You've run that how many times now? This would be I DNF'd once my first time. I'd never run an ultra, so didn't understand anything about it. Uh, but I've finished four, and this will be my fifth. Okay, and I'll also I'm, I'm assuming Marine Corps as well. You usually run that. Yeah, I have the Air Force Marathon in a couple weeks, and All then right. Marine Corps Marathon end of October, and if still have something left in the wheels, I'll go do JFK. So I kind of take them one at a time. Right. That, that's excellent. That's excellent. Marathons kind of build. You know, I don't go out and I don't really try to train and peak for them. I just run through them. 
so even when I'm done a marathon, it's you know usually it's like okay, you got to go recover a month. But that's I think if you've really wrecked your body in the marathon, if you just run through it like a nice day out off the grid without your phone and the sunshine, you know you're going to wake up the next day and actually be be better than you were, you know, the week before. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a that's a great way to look at it and to state it. Um, and as far as uh, the Healthy Running Seminar and uh, any other projects that you have going on, um, bring us up to speed on that. I mean, are, how, do, you, do, you have, um, do you have lots of dates still set up um, right now for the seminars around the country and around the world? Yeah, we have about four or five more courses in this calendar year that can be found on our website, healthyrunning.org. And then we'll be getting the 2016 calendar up. We'll be having a course here in my town next year for people in our region. They could come. And uh, we'll try to do probably uh, one in the Midwest, one Colorado and one West Coast, and maybe a few international. So we're kind of trying to finalize that. We're all busy, so we're trying to not do so many courses, try to pick a few places and do larger courses and break out into workshops, you know, small groups. And then like Jay DeSherry, myself, Trent Nessler, because we all have day jobs, we can try to get more impact with less time. Um, I think one of the really fun projects we have going on now is in my own community. So kind of on the same theme as trying to get people to eat better. So one of the largest groups that we need to help are people who have limited income. And in our state, that's a huge part of the population. And access to healthy food affects people's health. They call it food insecurity. So we wrote a couple grants last year for a program that now is kind of happening in several places in the country that doubles uh, food stamps at farmer markets. It's called SNAP. You know, that folks have uh, who have low income get a SNAP benefit card every month. And it's like a debit card. And you can use it at a grocery store to really buy all kinds of horrible stuff. The only thing you can't buy with a SNAP card is tobacco and alcohol, but you could go buy Fruit Loops, soda, all this stuff that's really going to make you sicker. Um, but what we have now is a, is a couple grants that doubles that at a farmer market. So if you have $20 on your card, you can go to a farmer market and it's 40 bucks. Yeah, that's great. And then, you know, you learn, I learn every week I go to a farmer market because I don't know what to do with half of the stuff they sell me. I ask them, what's, what's good to do with this? And, so people, we hope, you know, this is a bottom-up movement, almost like the minimalist movement. You know, people kind of figured it out, despite the fact, you know, society wasn't set up to help them figure it out. Yeah. Society is set up to make people really sick. Yeah. Bad food's accessible, affordable, and acceptable, meaning give this kids stuff as treats, you know. So yeah, it's almost impossible to fix, you know, from those policy levels that exist now. So you have to figure out workarounds. So I'll report back on how that's going. We just launched it last weekend, and we really want this to grow because we have good funding to do it, and we want to bring new people to farmer markets that can benefit, especially kids. You know, kids will teach the parents. Right, right. Yeah, get, get kids out there, get them excited about what they're seeing and, and you know, wanting to try what some of these. do with the cucumber, you know, it's like, wow, they don't even know what it is. It's yeah, perfect. yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. I, I saw a, a little bit of what you're talking about this year. I was um, down in uh, a small corner of Virginia in Appalachia um, yeah. for, for some mission work. And, um, you know, they had one very, very tiny little supermarket that they could, uh, where they could do their, their grocery shopping and 
you know, maybe one little corner of, of the grocery store included produce and the, that produce wasn't very impressive as it was. And, you know, all the rest, you know, packaged processed foods. And um, it's just sad. It's just sad that that's what they have access to, you know, and, and how, how do you, you know, it's programs like what you're talking about, I think is a fabulous idea for, for helping that situation. And hopefully in 10 years, it'll be happening all over the place. We'll try to figure it out here and then kind of make a model that any community could reproduce it. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. As long as they have farmers that can supply the market. So we're trying to keep a lot of our farmers because the business is better in D.C., you know. So we have huge farmers out in West Virginia that will drive right by our towns and go into D.C. Right, right. So we want to be able to keep those folks here. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the one last thing I want to touch on, too, is um, the Natural Running Center website. If you want to tell everyone about a little bit about that, what's going on there, and, and what the URL is. Yeah, so Natural Running Center website, uh, myself and two friends just decided to put this up about five years ago, kind of when the minimalism was starting to hit and people wanted information. We just wanted good information out there, kind of have a running blog of different articles from people in the field that were either medical or in the footwear industry, coaches, you know, to be able to just share stories. And yeah, we get good traffic on the site. Facebook page gets, we have about 6,000 likes on Facebook. We'll put out newsletters. We have some eBooks. So it's not meant to be a research database. It's meant to be more of like a living blog of teaching of healthy running. So I have a lot of articles on there and videos on maybe things to help you improve your fitness and improve your running form. But yeah, it's uh, naturalrunningcenter.com and you can there's a little link there that you can sign up for the newsletter, download a couple free ebooks. So yeah, hop on there, play with it a little bit. Uh, we just put up an article from a really cool Japanese uh, doctor who also is kind of a running guru over there. He, and he's starting this movement in Japan called Slow Jogging which is really a phenomenal movement because, as you've probably seen, Amanda, a lot of people who start running, they don't understand that they really need to go like super slow because they'll go out and they'll run, and within two or three minutes, they're already acidotic. Yes. So kind of right away, their heart rates just jump up, and they're afraid to run like ridiculously slow. And, you know, you, uh, you've probably seen me run on some group runs. I mean, I don't really, there's no pace too slow. I mean, I'll run 14 minutes a mile, 16 minutes a mile, just to get that running motion, but keep, teach your body to land soft and not jack up the heart rate. But for new runners, this slow running phenomenon is really, I think, foundational. We're trying to get it into the military because people go out and just ground pound on what they call self-paced runs. You know, so a self-paced run for aerobic development should be really slow for most, not with the group. You know, if they run with the group, they'll probably 90% of them are running too hard and it's defeating the purpose. Yes. So we need to make it acceptable to go slow, you know, run with smile, he calls it. You know, that's and totally slow. It's all good. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And I know, uh, you know, the, the website is, is a, a great, uh, resource. I've, I've, uh, pulled many good nuggets off of it over over the past few years and and you know you're always posting something interesting on the Facebook page so um, absolutely hope people will go check things out there so all right Thanks well Mark you're, doing. I, you're one of the few coaches that's out there getting people to figure it out you know you're giving people permission to say here you know don't listen to me or do what I do you know here's some things I want you to read it 
play with it yourself and see where it takes you, you know? It's, yeah. Everything yeah. works for everybody. You know, we're all different, just like training. You know, you could give 10 people the same workouts and two of them are going to respond favorably and eight of them may not. So I think everyone needs to be, give them some principles, but then we all adapt differently based on our genes. So. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Um, okay. Well, I know you're a busy guy and, and probably have uh, about 10 tasks in front of you to complete in the next hour. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to relieve you of this. And, and I certainly appreciate your spending some time with us. And I know it's something that uh, the audience members are, are really going to enjoy. Again, Mark, for spending some time with us today. I hope that everyone enjoyed chatting with Mark as much as I did. Um, every time I talk to him, I think I learned something new. Um, he is definitely a wealth of information, and he's definitely also one of the good guys. He's out there looking out for runners, trying to help educate and learn alongside them uh, in ways that might lead to healthier running and fewer injuries, which is something we can all hope for. Thanks, Mark.